This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Join me for my live webinar tonight from Jerusalem into the world. It's going to be at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and 4 p.m. 2 p.m. is the Living Inspired group. Please join the group. And 4 p.m. is the graduates of my seminars, the Possible You graduate series. Please join that. And Tuesday, we're now starting a, a just a get-together an hour twice a week. Tuesday's going to be based on it's either relationships or marriage. I forget which one we're doing Tuesday. But it's live all around the world. Everyone just come on, ask your questions. And uh, we're dealing with relationships. I think Tuesday's relationships, Thursday's marriage. I'm not sure. Anyway, join us for that. Okay, everyone, welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem, right across from the Western Wall. And we're talking about the soul, and that even though you guys have been thinking all this time that this is your life, you've been in you've been in horrible shape. No offense, meaning meaning your conscious self, the soul. That's your self, the consciousness. That's you, and that's your this consciousness that you have while listening to me right now, that is your soul. It's not anything but the soul. That consciousness, it's not your body. It's not your heart. It's not your neurons. Neurons don't have consciousness. Neurons are only transmitters. They are little, tiny, microscopic things that either fire or don't fire, fire or don't fire. You're not not a little microscopic thing that fires or doesn't fire. But they are binary and they just fire or don't fire. They're ones or zeros. And they report to you. They're generally, by the way, atheists. Your neurons are atheists. Because they're, they're, their job is to basically compute, for example, the sound waves you're hearing right now, which are not English. There's no English here. All you're getting is sound waves in, in very complex mathematical equations. And your brain is now taking them in real time, if you were from China and never heard English before, you wouldn't understand a word I'm saying. So the neurons are matching it to all the English you've ever heard in the past. So all the math adds up to English. But this is not English, nor is anything around you a room. This is not a room. It's a room in our physical world, but it's really just just a part of your mind's construct. And so they, they, But you are here, though. Consciously, you're experiencing the room. And that consciousness is what the neurons report to, but they themselves don't take up any physical space. I mean, if we put you in an MRI, we are not going to find the eye in the MRI. And we will not find your eye. Your sense of self is not going to be anywhere in an MRI. So there is no eye in MRI. That's why when someone walks into this class and says, Rabbi, how do I know that I have a soul? So I always think that's a pretty funny question. Because who's the I? They said it twice in the sentence. How do I know that I have a soul? What is that I? What is your I? It's a fascinating question. I mean, this is a subject that's gone through many, 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 many years of discussion about what is the I of consciousness. And it's, it's a fascinating subject and something I'm constantly studying. My whole way in, I was listening to another intellectual on YouTube discussing the I and and it's uh, it's quite elusive. You can go to India and get rid of the damn thing if you don't if you want. You know, and just get into pure consciousness, which is really the eye. That is the eye. The eye is the pure consciousness, without all the data, because your brain has a lot of data, and the eye is the pure consciousness. And this is how, like for example, the 
the LSD era of the 1960s lent itself to the to the um, identity politics of the left wing modern era we live in. What's the connection? Like, what? Why would that be connected? And the answer is, is that is that when you when the the psychedelic uh, substances brought people to the to they they kind of nullified the ego and all that's left is the consciousness the I well what's the difference between your eye and my eye we're all the same and so black white Jew Gentile like if you create any dividing lines you're somehow part of this tyrannical you know evil which of course is ridiculous because if you were going into surgery you want you want you know the the person they kind of brought up because they were Asian. Or would you like the best surgeon? Which would you prefer for surgery? So you'd like the best surgeon. You don't care what their skin color is or what place they're from. You just want the best. And if you're living in a country and someone's leading the country, you want the person most qualified so you don't die. You understand? So, so like it does not make you tyrannical. It makes you practical. Is that even though we're all one, also you would never expect a city that was completely wiped out by flood You'd never suspect that the f- survivors of the flood would ever be the same again. And if another city suddenly discovered a giant like, like vein of gold in, under their town, and now everyone in the town's millionaires ever since, and it's like a, a city of millionaires, because every single person in the town was living in a home over a gold mine. And so suddenly the whole town's millionaires, and this happened like 400 years ago. No one would expect that town to be the same exact people as someone from San Francisco. They're going to be different because of the experience they have. And this is why the Jewish people are always so different and, and left-wing liberals hate them. Hate the difference. Hate the chosenness. I mean Jews who hate being chosen. Because they were dipped in that, in that you know, identity politics, left-wing liberal world, the same consciousness. Which is true on one hand, but if you experience Sinai, if you've had a THX surround sound Omnimax 3D LSD blowaway experience at Sinai, well, you're going to be a lot more changed than a town who's, who lives above gold. You're going to be a lot more changed than a town that had to flood and most of the people were wiped out. But none of us would think that town would be people like everyone else. That's going to be a town that's been fundamentally shifted in their consciousness. Well, certainly, the people who witness Sinai are going to be fundamentally changed in their consciousness. And we got a major proof for this, by the way. The major proof we have is that, is that secular Jews are an amazing, amazing uh, control group. Secular Jews are an amazing control group because when secular Jews assimilate for a while, well, they should get more and more like the Gentiles that they live around. I mean, what is the difference between us, really? The, I mean, you'd probably think the difference is my, my hairdo, you know? Or maybe the cosmic dental floss hanging off my pants, you know, like over here. It's really on my shirt, but it's coming down the pants. So you'd think, like, that's the difference is I'm a practicing... That's because everyone thinks Judaism is a religion. Judaism is not a religion. But everyone thinks it is. So the difference between us is my religion versus their religion, that is not the difference between us. Now, the great control group is secular Jews because as much as they should come out more and more and more and more the same as the Gentiles, they have certain traits that are unique, many, many of them. And, uh, and also, uh, just a side notice, if you live in Israel, you get to enjoy the best stuff. Why? Because we have this Sinai experience in our collective consciousness. 
or should I say collective unconsciousness, but it's in there. And so if you want to ignore Sinai, if you like want to ignore the mountain behind you called Sinai, you know, it'd be like, it'd be like some guy who's like, he's part of the, like the Mount Everest deniers. You've heard of Holocaust deniers and there's Mount Everest deniers. And he, he has a little booth where he sells drinks in front of Mount Everest. He, and he's never turned around. He just will not turn around. And he, what is T-shirts, there's no such thing as Mount Everest. Bumper stickers, there's no Mount Everest, you know. And he just stands there facing away from Mount Everest. Well, that is the secular Israeli. That's the secular Israeli about Mount Sinai. Now, how are you going to block that out? I mean, imagine this guy from standing in front of Mount Everest. What's he going to do to, like, never see Mount Everest? Like, you're going to have to be pretty weird to, like, make sure you never have to deal with it. So how does a secular Israeli never deal with Sinai? Especially with people like me walking around. You know, it's like one thing if you're a secular Jew and you live in Vegas. But, like, in Israel, like, what are you going to do? Everywhere you turn, you see another fiddler on the roof. You know, you're like, you're in the fiddler on the roof everywhere you go. Now, how do you ever get away from it? So they have ways. And I literally mean ways like a pun on the, on the technology of uh, GPS, of you know, navigation, ways. Why are all these amazing high-tech firms in Israel? And the answer is if you want to block out Sinai, go all the way in something. Go all the way in tech. Go all the way in winemaking. Go all the way in, in, in engineering. Go all the whether it be, you know, computer engineering, whether it be, you know, like building engineering, like all the amazing stuff we've done. Go all the way in desalination. Go all the way in academia. I mean, that's what we do. I mean, we have more Nobel Prizes in Israel, but if you just take the secular Jews out of the world population and make them one country, because the problem, if a secular Jew makes, gets a Nobel Prize in Russia, it goes to Russia. And if a secular Jew in America gets a Nobel Prize, it goes to America. But if you actually remove them and make Jews their own country, do you realize that we have more Nobel Prizes than any of the countries of the world? Literally, like the U.S. drops off, Soviet Union drops off, and ours just keeps going. What what should be different about those people? There should be nothing, nothing different about them. What the difference is, but denying Sinai is like trying to deny you standing in front of Mount Everest. It just never goes away because people like us also never go away and we're always in your face and you have to deal with us and you have to ask yourself questions. And the weirdest thing, when say, the weirdest thing, Yonatan, is that, is that secular Jews really give a damn what I think of them, which is really weird. But they do. They're so sensitive. Like, you guys could say things to people that if I said, <laughs> they'd just be so offended. You know? Like, if you if you decided not to sit next to a woman on an airplane, just because you're working on yourself, you know, you're married, and you're like, you know, you're like, you know what? I don't need 12 hours next to this foxy lady, man. I, I just... Stewardess, if you don't mind, just put me next to a man, because I'm not sitting next to that lady for 12 hours. You know? And she's, of course, wearing next to nothing, you know, and, and like, she's, she's, she's just excited to get to know you for the next 12 hours. And, yeah, but if I ask to not sit next to a woman, it's like, how dare you, you know. And the, uh, by the way, I don't do that. I mean, if she's really not wearing anything, so maybe I would make some effort, but 
in general, I'll, I'll just ask the stewardess to turn up the air conditioning. <laughs> we have a couple questions up. I just, I'm going to finish one point, and then we're going to go. Yonatan had a question. What's your name? Charles, Charles has a question. Um, and let me just get. I just. I was coming to like a close on what I was just saying. Um, why are we talking about? Oh, is that it's it's really hard to avoid that thing. So I, what I wanted to say is just that what a pleasure it is to live in Israel today. As much as I wish all those secular Jews were were keeping you know the, our ancestral heritage, meaning I'd like them to be my co you know tribal people because like I'm keeping as best as I can the tribal tradition. I'm part of this heritage. I want to keep it. I'm part of a destiny. I want to be as aligned with my destiny as possible. Why would I, why would I be, want to be unaligned with the destiny, this like incredibly massive biblical proportion, literally, <laughs> destiny? Like, why would I not want to be aligned with that? So I want to be aligned. I don't want to run from that. That's going to make me a weird guy. I want to be as normal as possible. I want to be as organic as possible. You understand? I want to, I, this is about or, being organic as a Jew. If you met some Indian from the Amazon in Rio de Janeiro, you know, you know, dancing on top of a giant stack of speakers at a club. You know, he's out there, he's just like, you know. And, and anyway, the set ended, and you're talking to the guy, and he's like, yeah, I, I left my tribe about two years ago, and now I live here. Life much better in the city. You know, who wouldn't be sad? Who would not be sad? And yet everyone's willing to celebrate all the Nobel Prize winners. We're all we're all celebrating, you know, the state of Israel, and we're all celebrating Netanyahu, and we're all celebrating. Oh, we're proud. Like, make up your mind. Make up your mind. You know, you got you got you got a a, a National Geographic disaster, which is which is a whole tribe of people who have left their ancestral tradition and everyone just can't seem to get over their joy the ecstatic pride of of Jews you know it's like like uh, what was her name uh, Golda Meir who was once prime minister said you know let there be Jewish builders let there be Jewish this let there be Jewish cops let there be Jewish prostitutes let there be and all the people who actually keep their tradition were just like you know let there be Mashiach. You know, like, let the Messiah come and put an end to this insanity that celebrates the Jews surgically reinstalling their foreskins. And let us have some pride in being this tradition of Israel. And by the way, it, it totally freaks out the Gentiles. I have Chinese students all over the world, like, like this lady, for example. I have, I have Asian students. I just, I'm a, I, they're probably watching me. These are uh, Iranians living in Turkey. Salam, how are you? They're my new students. I have others in India. Yesterday I did yoga with a whole group of internationals in the park. You know, the, we're, we, are, we are living, the, we are, we, there are Gentiles around the world who are celebrating our tribal connection to, this, to our ancestral lands. The same Gentiles who, who are the great-great-great-grandchildren of people who probably slaughtered us. But today, these kids are here saying, okay, the Zionist narrative is, we're not into that. 
We like the Arabs. And, and yet, when they meet us, they're like conflicted. They're like, wait, I came to Israel to like be, you know, I came to Israel to like champion the Arab cause. And now I'm meeting all these like organic Jews. And I don't know what to do with myself because I'm meeting the actual tribal people. And as much as the, the state of Israel has been pretty aggressive against the Arabs, well, these, these, the people who actually embrace the tribal traditions seem to be quite peaceful and godly and universal in their approach. So they, every time I drink a beer with someone in the Shuk who's an international, every time I it, just Thursday night I had a beer with several different internationals and, and they, uh, they were like, now I'm totally conflicted. You know, like, like once the alcohol got in and they're like hanging out with me for a while, they're like, because they were not planning on meeting Jews much. But they heard you go to the show Thursday night, it's going to be good beer. And, so, and then next thing you know, they're, they're like doing selfies with the rabbi, you know, and, and they're just like, now I'm like, whoa. You know, now I don't know what to do with myself, you know. So, uh, I'll continue in a second. We have two questions. Yonatan? Okay, I have two points. Uh, one point is what astonishes me there or at least the strongly rich Jewish people who are, are at the forefront of science. I mean, it's not exclusive. Uh, they can combine the tradition with the science, which uh, it impresses me quite a lot. The second thing is, I think that... So that was a comment. Yes. Yeah. The second thing is, uh, I think that uh, uh, why the Jews are... Had, for example, it's just one example, you know, with, with so many Nobel Prizes, I think it's also the blessing of the Lord. Upon the Jewish people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you want to call it a blessing? That's fine. Charles. So, so fifty years ago, you or maybe others would not have used the word consciousness. The consciousness thing in, in Jewish study came when people went to the east and they came back and talked about consciousness. Oh, the question yes. is, the question is. Well said. Thank you. The question is, we know words in Hebrew. We know nefesh. We know ruach. We know neshama. Which word, not more that word, which word would you say from the Torah is consciousness? Excellent, excellent. Because you say it changes, but the Neshama in Torah, he stays the same, so then we are all the same, so that's why my conflict is. Excellent, excellent, excellent um, question and excellent points. Um, and I'm going to get to it in a second, okay? Uh, I just want to mention the three M's that are... Uh, did I just call them the three N's? <laughs> Where are the three N's? The three D's, which are um, kind of the famous, uh, the famous three D's. Uh, three D's. I just, this pen's dying. So the three D's are as follows. Let me just flip this thing around because it's, uh, they're not going to, um, they're not going to be able to read it. It's going to be backwards if I don't flip this. You're now the producer, okay? What's your name? David. David, you're producing. Uh, you probably can't see the screen, but whatever. Okay, everything looks fine, though? For now? Okay. Um, anyway, so the three Ds, I think I got a better pen now. Then I'll go to Charles' Charles's question. So the three Ds are as follows, and I lived all three of these as a, you know, as a kid growing up in Hollywood. My, my next-door neighbors were the drummer of the Doors. Really? John Densmore. Behind my house was Dustin Hoffman. Uh, oh, you were a Doors fan? Still? And on the right was Mel Brooks's partner in writing, his writing partner. 
So that that was in our house was like three times the size of their houses. So how come you went off the Who? You. You didn't become a Hollywood. No, no. I, I dropped out at 11 years old when I discovered my housekeepers were happier than my parents. So the <laughs> anyway the the. Um, Oh, I just want to say, you've heard of trust babies, like rich kids, trust babies? So, so you heard of Rastafarians that are, you know, Rasta men? Yeah, so I was what you call a trustafarian. A trustafarian are trust babies who are searchers. Now, usually they make you ill, you know, because they, like, they come in their BMW to the Grateful Dead show, you know, and then pull on a tie-dye, you know, for the, for the show. Those are not real trustafarians. But what you will find is that there is, that true trustafarians are bankrolled searchers. They're bankrolled searchers. And depending on their IQ and their background and like their <laughs> proclivity to psychedelic drugs, they, um, they may go for serious search. And the beauty of their search is that, is that while everyone else has to eventually like face reality and go to work and like get a job, if you're a trustafarian, you never ever have to do that because you're being bankrolled, you know, there's money. And so you just keep searching and searching and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. So I'm, I, this year I turned 50, and I'm 39 years. Was it 11 when I, is that the math? Yeah? So I'm 39 years, and I'll quote Bono right now and just say, And I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But I'm evolving and evolving and evolving. This year has been like, I'm unrecognizable to myself a year ago. Unrecognizable. I said to somebody, you know, and it was, was not even a joke. It turned out that it's funny. You know what I could have been becoming but didn't have to make a living? <laughs> right. <laughs> it really is true. It's really true and amazing. And um, anyway, but in the end, though, is uh, the other miracle I had, how I got to here, because the last place I would have come he- was here, because I was just like, I would have been a BDSer. I thought marrying a Jew was racist. Okay, I I was way over there on the left. Sorry, on your left. And and the uh, and by the way, I still am for all the important stuff. But but regarding all the you know like just the the trappings, not at all. I'm part of a tribe, you know, and I'm and I. I live my tribal distinctions, and there's nothing wrong with distinctions, especially when you're getting surgery or something. Like, it's fine to distinguish people before you go under the knife of who you want to go to. You know, the, the distinctions are good. People who've experienced something as freaky as Sinai are going to be changed forever. Those are the three Ds. Anyway, but the the I'm still very universal. Though. Uh, what I want to share is the middle sharing. Oh, I would never have come to here. Except, guess what? My father's business goes belly up. He goes bankrupt. And I had a promise that if I did a certain thing, I was going on this world tour right when he went bankrupt. And I did the thing, obviously, because I want my world tour. I had been touring the world, but this time it was like two, three years of touring. Like, I just surf. And, oh, I surf. So I, was, it was, I surfed internationally. That's basically what I did. So I had a world surf tour. And I got the free ticket. Oh, he went bankrupt, couldn't buy the ticket. And I got a free ticket to Jerusalem. And I never left. <laughs> I never left. I'm here ever since. I, I got rid of the long hair, except for two. <laughs> I had a bunch, but no. Nah. They used to have long, long hair? 
I had a hundred Italian curls. I have natural Italian curls, which is a pleasure. You just get it. You just get out of the mikvah and you're just like, boing, 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 boing. you know. Like, my sons are so jealous. You know, they're in front of the mirror and they're just like. Yeah. Okay. So the anyway, the three Ds. Let me try. Maybe this green pen's better. Are distracted. Those are the Nobel prizes and the amazing craft beer and the uh, incredible wines of Israel that's uh, distracted then there's uh, the what happens is there's certain people who are not great at distracting themselves just they never really found what they want and so it's hard to distract yourself you know what I mean I, I imagine uh, there's probably a lot of people in this room still haven't really figured out what they're doing here I mean as far as your own personal contribution a lot of people never figured that out now, if you found your contribution, you can push it all the way to the end and be so distracted that you don't see Mount Sinai. That's the distracted. But you'll notice, like, the funny ones are the financial ones. Because at least if you're in a science field, you can keep, you know, science progresses. So you keep progressing. But if you're in the money field, what do you have to do? You have to keep, like, making more and taking more risks and, like, sometimes falling. And But you got to get back up and, like, so they, they live in this distraction, and, and, they, uh, and sadly, because they're avoiding Sinai, they wind up creating a terrible name for the Jews as far as, you know, when there's a collapse like 2008 where the heads of a lot of those, those firms, those banking firms, you know, if you look carefully, you'll see there were Jews all at the tops of those firms that had created a, a bubble um, that caused a huge loss of, of homes and uh, where people were living and all kinds of hell when it happened, when it all fell apart, including the, the king of the Ponzi schemes. Uh, what was that guy? Madoff? He, he was also a Jewish man. And, and it's like when you ignore Sinai, all hell breaks loose. You know, you you're gonna you got to distract Sinai with one of the three Ds. And, and, but now you, you're distracting yourself from also, don't forget it's a moral code. So like you actually do the right thing. But if you're no longer interested in doing the right things, and you got this super high, you know, Ashkenazic Jewish IQ, and you don't have a strong moral code, you know, you're, you're gonna just like, you're gonna make off with the money. That's why his name was Madoff, I'm sure. Now, anyway, those are the distracted. And what I did was I surfed six to eight hours a day, every day. And if it was a full moon, I did another four hours at night. I'd literally go out at 10 at night and I would come back to the short at 2 in the morning and surf under the full moon and only to go to sleep at 2 in the morning and wake up at 10 in the morning and start again. And that was all I did for years and years and years. Now, if, when, if I was not surfing, I was searching. So I was surfing and searching and surfing and searching. Which is amazing that internet where we do our searching, like Google is called surfing. Because searching and surfing is kind of what I was up to all those years is just surfing and searching but eventually you can't the distraction doesn't work anymore you know when you've clocked 30,000 hours of international surf travel you get a little you know it doesn't work like it used to and uh, and it might have been uh, from God that in, in California between the years of 1986 and 1991 those five years the years I was living in Santa Barbara there was a drought an extreme drought. No snow, no waves, no nothing. And it is interesting that at the end of five years, no waves. 
where I really had to go out of my way to surf, which I did. You know, I was all over the place, but I clocked a lot of miles getting to those waves. But, you know, getting to where there was some surf, Central California, wherever. But eventually it didn't work, and the next one's called depressed. And depressed is, is a very interesting form of depression that a lot of people um, ne neglect, and that is called existential depression. It's particularly big with Jews, but that's because Sinai's behind them. You know, if you have no Sinai behind you, so like, okay, have a beer, relax, man. What do you got to, why do you have to have so much meaning in your life? You know, enjoy, you know, like, uh, you know, just go tend your garden. Like, you don't have to be so freaked out about meaning, you know. But if you're Jewish, existentialism is depressing. Do you guys know about existentialism? You know about deconstructionism? It means that the world's meaningless, basically. This is where academia is today. So I'm saving all the a degree in university, okay, is that the world's basically meaningless, but you make the meaning. You make the meaning. But the problem is if you're Jewish, you know, where you've got this, like, you know, this terabyte of, like, search engine that needs, you know, like, something other than your own creativity of making meaning. You know, maybe I wasn't, I think I had a bad, a big imbalance between my intense analysis and my sinitic, sinitic desire for meaning, like, it just wasn't matching because I'm not that creative. Like, surfing, okay, great. You know, craft beer, wonderful. You know, cannabis, fabulous. You know, they, they, it was like, I need something more meaningful than that. And Jews don't do well with existentialism. We've got too big a thirst. And I know for a fact today, because when I'm learning Torah, you know, I'm learning now, how many years... I sat, first of all, full-time, all morning, all afternoon, and into the night, full-time. When we say full-time in Israel, we're talking 12 hours plus. I, I learned 12 hours plus for eight years straight. I didn't, when I got here at 23, I didn't know Aleph Bet. But I started learning at 23, and I stayed morning, afternoons, and nights studying for the next 12 years straight. Sorry, eight years straight. After that, I still am studying this morning. I've already been studying two different whole sessions. And I'm telling you, I'm like, my appetite's voracious for the meaning of, of life inside Torah. It's amazing. And by the way, I'm not, I don't limit it to Torah. I, I do plenty of... When I was YouTubing my way in, that was not a Torah class, I'll tell you that. You know, I was doing outer research out there and a lot of amazing stuff. Now... Anyway, but Jews don't do well with existentialism. We have a deep desire for something true that's truer than anything you could come up with between these two ears. I understand a guy, a Gentile, who's the great-grandchild of some guy with no teeth, illiterate, alcoholic, from Boldovia or whatever. I don't know if that's the name of a country. It just made it up. Is there a country called Boldovia? <laughs> it's Boldovia. And, um, you know, the fact that you're, like, enjoying your, like, little garden apartment at Venice Beach, California, <laughs> you know, working for some firm in, you know, in, in Santa Monica. You know, the fact that, like, your life's perfect, I agree, your life is perfect. But if you're Jewish, you're in hell, man. You're in jail, if you're Jewish, you, you, you've ruined your life. You've ruined your life, and you've got you to get out of your life, and, and you've got to 
get your butt on a plane and get over to Israel and start learning and start figuring like you got to deconstruct and reconstruct based on the tribal wisdom of our nation and by the way it's not it's not our sages say if you if they say there's wisdom amongst the nations of the world believe them there is so the beauty is when you learn Torah it doesn't mean you you can't learn the other stuff you can learn the other stuff obviously if it's idolatrous you're forbidden to learn it unless you're uh, unless you're a judge a judge has to learn it because he has to adjudicate because one of the prohibitions in Judaism is idolatry well how are you going to judge an idolatry case if you don't know what it is so a, a a judge must learn about idolatry. The rest of the Jews have a separate prohibition in the Torah not to look after that stuff. So it's really important. You know, I do this because I do a lot. I'm a very liberal searcher. But I do check it out with a lot of people to make sure that is, at the end of this search, is anyone bowing down to something? And if the answer is yes, well, then I have to keep the don't look into it. So then I don't look into it. If the answer is no, then I'll go become an expert at it. Like, I'll... I'll I'll just sit on YouTube for 50 hours until I know everything about the thing. And so, and so, and I'm sure there's, I, I know for a fact there's extreme detail amongst the idolatrous traditions, which today are, you know, they're not so exciting to anybody, but, but I have gotten to speak with a few people who were from that tradition. And I was just simply saying, what's that? You know, I was just noticing a thing, and they're like, oh, that's a constellation. Meaning, the star's constellation. I'm like, I didn't know it had that name, and he's like, and then he's like downloading like tons of information. I'm just like, okay, you know, that's enough about that. You know, I don't need to know all that stuff. It's incredible what they know. Incredible. It has to be true. You can't know that much about something. It's just the splitting hairs of detail in the spiritual world. Of gen- these are Gentiles, and the splitting hairs of detail in highly, highly mystical traditions that are passed down for thousands of years, like, it's got to be true. It's not stuff we as Jews study. And boy, are we constellation-oriented, though. Oh, my gosh. Like, like the, the scales of, are coming up. Our next month is the scales. You know, all our months are not... The names of our months, Tishrei is not Hebrew. This month, El, that's not Hebrew. We got it from the Gentiles. Our names of the month are from the Gentiles and the, all the signs, the scales. <laughs> Look, Judgment Day, Rosh Hashanah, the scales. It's Judgment Day, it's the scales. We're later we'll be doing the Passover sacrifice. What are we going to pass? What are we going to sacrifice? A lamb. Well, what is that month called? Aries. What's Aries? It's a sheep. It's a sheep. We are totally locked in when it comes to our life cycle, our, our year cycle to the, to the constellations. Everything. Purim, we're like, you can't tell if it's evil or good the whole time, is the fish, the Pisces, where it's like two Pisces, it's a yin yang. Two fish facing the opposite way, it's a yin yang. It's showing the oneness that everything's one. That's all one. You don't know who's evil or good. They, remember the villain, Haman, the hero was Mordechai, but Mordechai, because he won't bow down, there's a genocidal decree. So who's the bad guy? Sounds like it's Mordecai. Like Mordecai, you know, get a little more, you know, like uh, politically correct around here, man. You're like making trouble. And then Haman, his decree causes the entire Jewish nation to unite and repent. He sounds like the good guy. So it's like everything's flipped. And that's the Pisces where it's flipped, where everything's one, where what you thought was bad was good. 
And so we are locked into the constellation in a major way, but, but our tradition is, is more to align ourselves with the energies of the months, which is the, which our Torah from Sinai, it tells us when to do each holiday. And we're not making this up. It's not like we said, oh, there's a good constellation for a sheep sacrifice, Paschal lamb. No, the Torah says in the first month, on the 14th day of the month, you will slaughter sheep in Jerusalem. And on the 15th day of the month, you will celebrate the leaving of Egypt while you eat that, that sacrifice, that offering. Now, anyway, those are the depressed people. Are, uh, raise your hand, you ever felt that meaninglessness? Anyone had that meaninglessness happen? Okay, meaninglessness. And by the way, you can be gentle and still deal with that, feel that because all it takes is a couple ingredients, highly analytical, and, um, and it also takes this kind of inborn sense that this better be something more, man. <laughs> better be something more if you have that feeling. And sometimes it comes from just like a really amazing uncle or aunt or grandparent who says like, go find it, man, go find it. Like her parent, a mother or father who are like, you know, go out there and search. My parents were not like that. I didn't get it from them. I got it from my cyanidic, you know, settings. They were not like that. They were West L.A., you know. They were West L.A., and I was leaving that world as fast as I could. And that's depressing. The third D is is uh, devoted. And that's what I've been doing since I got here. So when I got here and found out that I'm actually part of a tribe, that's you know, from a prophetic line. And it, when I say a prophetic line, just for those who are new to my classes... Um, Charles, I, I just want to distinguish tribes because there are a lot of tribes in the world. Oh my gosh! Oh, shalom, everybody. Um, you know what? We're not going to be able to do this one, but tomorrow, please God, we will be on it. Shalom, and amazing to be with you all. <laughs> Sorry, I, I totally forgot. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.